Today, we're joined by Megan Saad, Global Marketing Director at IAPA, the Global Association for the Attractions Industry. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining us on the Association Marketing Show. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. It's so great to have you. Um, we always start with a little bit of background just to get the audience familiar with you. We're all association marketers here in this community, but even within that, there's so much variety in terms of you know the size of organization that, that you work for and um, the kind of priorities that that organization has and the industry that that organization serves. So tell me a bit about your background first, personally and professionally, how you entered the world of associations and what your role is today. Yeah, sure. My background is actually journalism and advertising. So I started out being a copywriter for an ad advertising agency in Pittsburgh. Um, and then when I moved to the DC area, I think like most association people, I kind of fell into it. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, the first association that I was with, I was involved with from um, their annual meeting standpoint so that's where I kind of fell in love with live events and just really you know loving um, what happens when people come together um, you know at these live in-person events so from there I ended up at IAPA which is the global association for the attractions industry and I just find myself so lucky to have landed at such a fun association you know the industry that we serve is very vibrant. Our members are awesome. It mm. has afforded me opportunities to visit theme parks and facilities all around the world. Um, and our events and our trade shows in particular are, are really a lot of fun. Um, mm. We have three trade shows each year. One is in Europe, one is in Asia, and then we have one in North America, which is our largest, um, which mm. takes place in Orlando each November. Um, and that's what I'm really responsible at IAPA, um, the attendee acquisition and overall brand and on-site experience um, at those those three events. So um, really thrilled with, you know, ending up at IAPA um, and just really excited, you know, to be involved from the um, live events standpoint. Yeah, you have some cool perks in terms of the, the industry <laughs> that you serve. Sometimes I, I spoke with Paul Kissin from Na the National Confectioners Association a few episodes ago. And I was having that impression as he was describing his members too. you know, their office, NCA's office in D.C., the lobby is just like filled with candy from all of their <laughs> partners in the industry. And I'm like, this is pretty great. And it sounds like yeah, you, that's have, cool. you have some good perks also. <laughs> cool. cool. Really quickly um, on IAPA, the three major events, obviously a big focus for the organization and for you personally. It, what kind of rounds out the... Um, member benefit mix in terms of the types of resources that IAPA provides to your members and your industry? Yeah, so for our members, really from a branding standpoint, we've struggled with this in the past. Um, we are lucky that we have such strong um, brand recognition with our shows, but people know IAPA as the show only, and it's really just trying to inform people of who we are as an association the rest of the year so we provide a ton for our members and i think you know the challenges that came with this past year have really given us an opportunity to have those other benefits shine not mm -hmm. just because that our in-person events were canceled just because our members needed us in new ways 
Um, so our online learning took off, our research efforts took off. Um, advocacy was huge this year with helping, you know, attractions around the world reopen or, you know, get the loans and the support that they needed to continue to operate. Hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, if you're, you're always trying to focus on silver linings and I think that that was really one of them hmm. that we just kind of finally had the opportunity to, to show our members, um, kind of the, the overall value that we, we provide to them outside of those, um, expos hmm. and events. Hmm. I've heard that a lot from other association marketers and association pros and, just before we started, we hit record, uh, we were talking about overused phrases of the last year and pivot and new normal. And I feel like silver lining is is kind of emerging as number three on that list. But it's, <laughs> really? it's true, you know, and yeah. I think a lot of associations have found themselves in a situation where they are now kind of a more well-rounded organization in terms of the benefits that they provide their members and in terms of how their members see them. A lot of associations that I've spoken to are in the same situation of like, they are an association, but from a perception standpoint, most of their audience in the industry views them, you know, as the organization behind that one big annual meeting, for example, and kind mm -hmm. of is very... Uh, just like unaware of the other kinds of resources and value that the association provides. Uh, and that 2020, again, silver lining, one of the things that kind of was found is that that gave the association the time and space and resources because, you know, typically less was being, um, of course, invested in events. It could be more focused in actual core member benefits and online education uh, mm -hmm. and other kinds of programs for members. And the, the relationship with members and with the industry more broadly maybe became more multifaceted um, as a result yeah. of the last year and of the pandemic than just being so event heavy. And obviously that had its costs as well. And that's not me trying to say that, oh, actually this was fantastic, but that was, uh, that has been an experience and you know somewhat of a benefit that I think a, lo a lot of associations have noticed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as far as engagement, I mean, we were very guilty in the past, you know, during our November show in particular, we have over 40,000 people there. So, you know, our engagement on social, our traffic to the website, that's really when we see this huge surge. So we kind of just took that as an opportunity to cram all of our member benefits, you know, mm -hmm. um, into pe down people's throats essentially once they're at the show like oh you're here but look at all the other things that we do mm. and that's just not what they're there for they're there to network with one another to be on that trade show floor you know to attend education sessions and mm. we can certainly follow up afterwards but i think you know it just got us better at reinforcing those member benefits throughout the year and not just, you know, leaning on those those key opportunities mm -hmm. um, to, to really, you know, communicate with those audiences. Totally. So one of the main things I want to talk to you about, just given your kind of event marketing and attendee acquisition expertise, is how 2021 is shaping up and how you are thinking about um, the marketing and comm side of getting back into live events and all of the, you know, the additional nuances that are now considerations for you as the marketing and comms lead for these three big important events for your association um, and just kind of how those plans are shaping up and, and how you've used research to inform your work. And there's a lot of things that I want to get into, but just to kind of set the stage for that, what is 2021 shaping up to look like 
from a kind of key initiative standpoint for the organization and maybe related to events specifically. And I'd love to get into some of the details about how you're planning to promote them. The Association Marketing Show is brought to you by Feather, the all-in-one digital marketing toolkit built just for associations. To learn more about our tools and services, check us out at feather.co. That's F-E-A-T-H-R dot C-O. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that over this past year, you know, we've always known that we needed to diversify our revenue where, you know, our expos were such a kind of the bread and butter. And we always knew that we needed to diversify revenue, but we never quite had the, the fire underneath us like 2020 brought to do so. Mm. Um, so we really have been introducing a lot of new projects and initiatives um, to market. Um, but all that to say that we are very excited that we are planning to move forward with all three of our in-person expos um, later this year. So our first one will be IAPA Expo Asia in August, which is going to be in Shanghai. And then we have IAPA Expo Europe in Barcelona in mm. September. Mm. And then we are ending with IAPA Expo um, in Orlando this November. So um, it's going to be three expos in three months. So mm -hmm. it's going to be a busy fall. I think a lot of events uh, professionals are really busy in the fall. Um, but we're excited because we miss our members, but um, we also just miss, you know, just being together, even I have those regional teams, you know, I haven't seen my colleagues, you know, in over a year. And that's yeah. kind of, you know, being on site is what gives us all energy, you know, and kind of reminds us, you know, why it is, you know, why we love what we do. So I think we're all just really exciting to have that to look forward to later this year. Totally. And so I know it's still some months away, but it's not that far away. <laughs> and, and you've yeah. been in this business and in this, in this industry long enough to know how much prep it takes to do a kind of well-coordinated marketing and promo plan around, around an event, especially a live one. So how are you starting, like how are, you, how are your plans around that shaping up? Maybe thinking about your, uh, your Shanghai Expo what what are some of the kind of like unique considerations that you're finding yourself making as again the marketing and comms lead for for promoting that show and the rest of of the shows that are happening this year um and how have you gone about uh kind of like crafting your marketing plan for it and how is how is that looking different to you know the 2019 plan yeah, it's a lot. Um, I think that the biggest difference this year is that we are doing a lot of combined messaging. Um, so for instance, in a few weeks, we are making an official announcement that we are moving forward with all three of these events. Um, and that's mainly because we wanna have a stance that health and safety is the top priority for all three shows. You know, that's not unique to one of the shows. Mm. Um, so that gives us an opportunity to kind of put all three shows on um, this platform, um, really make a statement, you know, that health and safety is just going to be, you know, threaded behind mm. everything that we plan for and that we execute on site. Um, and we're also, for the first time, really encouraging people to attend their regional show. Um, in the past, you know, we wanted global representation at all of these shows. That's kind of the beauty of our events is that you have people from all over the world coming together um, to share ideas and, and do business with one another. And with travel restrictions and just, you know, a lot of complexities, um, a lot of uncertainty still that may remain, 
Um, we really are encouraging people to kind of just visit their regional um, show this year. And then, you know, maybe next year you can attend multiple. Um, but for now, um, that's, that's definitely a new approach. You know, I never thought that I wouldn't be encouraging everyone to come to um, the mm -hmm. November event. Um, and also we're doing a lot of research. Um, we don't know what we don't know. Um, and we really want to make sure that we understand our audience. Um, we want to know who's excited, who's just dying to get back to face-to-face. -face. We want to know who's concerned and what kind of keeps them up at night and what is keeping them from wanting to register. Um, because we need to address that in our messaging. You know, our messaging this year is going to be so much different. Usually we're just talking about all the event highlights and what's exciting. And this mm. year, you know, we always wanna humanize our brand, but now more than ever, which is another, I think, um, let's add it to our list of uh, buzzwords um, for 2020, but truly now more than ever, they need to know that we're just figuring it out as we go too. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, things are gonna change between now and before we get together. Um, and we're gonna be keeping up with the CDC and the World Health Organization and really working closely with our partners at all of the convention centers. And at the end of the day, we're keeping all of our participants, you know, best interests and health in mind. Mm -hmm. But we really need to make sure that that's clear in all of our messages because mm -hmm. um, I think there there is going to be you know a mixed bag of people that are excited that we're moving forward and people that are kind of questioning it if it's kind of too early you know or the right time so we need right. to just safeguard against that. Yeah, and this is something that I wanted to dig in on with you a little bit is this kind of like customer research as as a marketing superpower so to speak and you know it's. It's, it's often surprising to me how much we as marketers sometimes take for granted about our audience and about what they care about. And we feel like we have a good pulse on it, but that, that might be shifting. And especially in the last year, you know, we can be pretty certain that what our audiences care about has shifted pretty dramatically. And so um, you've touched on it a little bit recently in this, in this answer that you just gave. But what are some of the ways that you've gone about kind of like testing and getting the pulse of your audience in terms of their interest in live events, um, but also just in terms of like what their main concerns are and how that should inform your messaging and your comm strategy uh, around these events, you know, um, kind of what, what has that looked like for you and what are some simple ways that you could, you know, simple tips that you could give to other association marketers who are maybe considering this path of action that you've taken of going back to live in the second half of the year? Um, but want to make sure that their messaging resonates, that, that doesn't, their messaging doesn't uh, miss uh, or sound tone deaf or um, mm -hmm. go to the wrong people, maybe people who don't have any kind of interest. Um, and I know that there's a lot of angst around that. This is one of the things that, that I've heard be, be brought up many times is kind of like biggest, uh, I don't know, like headache or like concern as a marketer, or anxiety as a marketer in these days is just like, not coming across as tone deaf um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and research customer research can be really really helpful for for understanding where your audience is at and then for informing your messaging so maybe you could talk about how you've done that personally as a team and kind of what you've what you've learned about your audience in that way 
Yeah, so I think when we started the surveys, we really focused on who do we want to hear from? Um, because with over 40,000 people, you know, maybe not everyone has the opinion that we need to seek. Um, so we looked at our past participant list and we identified what we call loyal attendees of anyone that has attended or participated in a show at least two times in the last three years. So they're familiar with our brand, they're familiar with the on-site experience and, you know, we kind of consider their opinions really informed, you know, and valid based on what they would like to see right. um, at future events. Um, and we also just consider them, you know, high prospects. You know, these people are um, ones that, you know, usually come and visit at least one of our events each year. Um, so we wanted to hear from them first okay. um, and just kind of see where that led us. And I think that was a that was a really good call because I think that made all of our energy go to the right place or else it would have been an overwhelming amount of, of data that we didn't really mm. know what to do with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that the good news was we weren't really surprised by any of the responses. I think if anything, what we were surprised about is how anxious people mm. were to get back to the um, live events and that maybe all of these safety protocols weren't absolutely a necessity. You know, we asked them about one-way aisles. We asked them about temperature checks. We asked them about what was their main reason for attending this year. Mm. Um, and I won't say that I just really don't think that we were surprised by any of it other than how some of those measures weren't a necessity and weren't going to deter them from coming. So I mm. think that we saw that they trusted us in working with the um, convention center, in our case, the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, to really, you know, have the requirements that were needed to execute a safe show. Yeah. Um, so that was great to see, you know, reassuring. Mm. Um, and then I think that they really just showed us that they have different needs for being there this year. You know, they might not be on the show floor looking for the, the latest uh, roller coaster technology, but they are looking for um, sanitation products. You know, they may have never attended an education session before, and now there's really timely topics that they have no idea on and they need to be in a seat for. Um, so I think that also helped us um, just as we're, we're planning the event itself. Um, you know, yeah. content always needs to be relevant to get people in the door. But yeah. um, even now, we're we're kind of reserving twenty five education sessions until the fall because we kind of we just know that there's going to be new information, mm. and if we plan everything right now, then we're already kind of irrelevant. Um, so I don't well, think that we're done doing surveys. I think they'll continue. I think we need to continue to focus on past participants and those those loyals yeah. um, to kind of steer our direction. But I just think that um, that's going to be so important, especially with kind of anticipating that our registration is not going to pace exactly how it has in the past. Mm -hmm. um, we're used to registration savings deadlines. Um, mm -hmm. You know, steering the direction and how our attendees pace and yeah 
now I think it's basically going to be an awareness campaign up until three, four weeks out because people just aren't ready to commit to travel or mm-hmm. commit to anything really um, until it's closer and they know for a fact that it's it's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. So we we have to get comfortable with that. Definitely nerve wracking, but I think as long as you continue to build that awareness, mm-hmm. that you know it'll happen. They'll convert, but mm-hmm. um, not until much later than what we're used to. That's a tough one to swallow, isn't it? Of, of not being able to mm-hmm. track registration <laughs> pacing and like trusting that it's all going to pay off three to four weeks out, you know? That's, that's yeah, really never had I have to trust the plan so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just trust the process. Trust the process. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, that's, that's one thing actually that, that I find um, like an interesting take from you is that you're kind of prepared for that now is that all of like, you know, post the, the initial announcement and all of the early marketing to be just about awareness and kind of education and, uh, and engagement on the front end. And it sounds like, just to kind of like reflect what I'm hearing and, and uh, hopefully I got this right, but correct me if, if I don't, it's like there's the, the value prop portion of, of attending the event, right? That's important about the education you're gonna receive and, and you know, the vendors that you're gonna see and the networking that you're gonna be able to do and all that kind of stuff. but there's like two new things. One is is like this layer of communication about health and safety protocol. And like that has to be not, that has to be in the marketing mix from the awareness stage, not just post-registration. Okay, hey, now you've registered. Here's what, here's what to expect in terms of, you know, your on-site experience from a health and safety standpoint. That's an important consideration for some, even in, on the pre-reg side, right? Mm-hmm. What's the health and safety protocol gonna look like? What's the experience gonna look and feel like for, for me as an attendee because all, there's so many things that we used to be able to take for granted um, that we no longer can take for granted. Like, for example, as an attendee, the attendee experience of a, of a trade show or of an expo or, or this kind of things was pretty consistent, right? You, if you knew that you were registering for, for a trade show, uh, you knew kind of like what the major components of the experience were going to be like. And a lot of that is consistent, but some of that experience is still uh, unexpected like, or, or, or uh, difficult to predict. It's going to be new. You know, what's, go- what's it going to mm-hmm. be like attending a trade show while the pandemic is, is still going on? And so there has to be education about that. We have to help people kind of see themselves in that experience and see themselves enjoying it and not have that be just a, a big question mark of, you know, what that attendee experience is going to look like in this world that needs to be kind of, um, yeah, explained and shown to them up front. So that there's that health and safety thing, but also, which is like maybe an asset um, for some is like almost regardless of the content and the health and safety protocols, et cetera, there's, there's just people who are interested in getting back together in person again. And the fact that there's an opportunity to do that is compelling um, in and of itself. And then, you know, the, the educational value and the networking value and all that kind of stuff that you can, that you can uh, message to in your marketing, that's important. Health and safety protocol, that's important too, but there's just this, um, there's this yeah, pent-up uh, demand for getting back together in person. And just the fact that mm-hmm. there's going to be something going on is compelling. Uh, and there's, there's going to be a way for people yeah. to get together again. Yeah, and I think the events industry has always been somewhat of a community, but I think especially this past year, they have come together and really just, you know, helped each other through 
what a challenging year it's been, but also just celebrated one another's success. And I think that, you know, when I get on LinkedIn and, you know, you see people sharing the news of, oh, look, this event, you know, was held successfully. And I think the more just as event professionals that we can share that and kind of get the word out that these events are taking place, you know, there are ways of doing this, um, just mm-hmm. the more um, comfortable that people will feel attending, just, you know, get those visuals out of what a show floor looks like now, mm-hmm. um, how people can, you know, go to networking events um, in this new era. And just the more that we get that out and on people's feeds, then the better I think um, we'll all be with our, with our own. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's like a collective benefit to more and more events being pulled off successfully. Yeah, totally. Um, One question I had for you, this is something that you mentioned in one of our prep calls, is kind of using um, attendees and partners kind of as ambassadors um, in your marketing. Maybe you could just expand upon that. I thought that was a very, uh, a very, how do, you, how do you say, poignant point? That's a, that was a very weird <laughs> phrase to use. Gosh, I can't believe I just said that. That's a tough one. To oh, use. God. Anyways, I thought that was a very interesting idea and made a lot of sense. So maybe you could talk about that in relationship to your three events later this year. Yeah, I think just in general, there's always been a multi-channel approach, you know, to our marketing plan and and that's definitely going to be the case this year, but certainly we are going to not do as much print and as much direct mail. Um, while that has had a great return on investment for us in the past, um, we certainly need to free up marketing dollars and get a little bit um, just, you know, working with a smaller budget in general, mm-hmm. um, but we need to reach new audiences and we don't want to waste any marketing dollars on kind of these direct mail pieces that may be going to people that aren't at those (laughs) addresses or locations. Um, So we really have been spending a lot of time on, you know, what does that look like? What are kind of the updated digital tactics? When do we spend our marketing dollars? Going back to that registration pacing, you know, we don't want to come out the gates um, in a few weeks um, spending a lot of money if it's not going to um, give us any return. Um, And, this kind of influencer marketing thing is a huge part of that um, digital mix. And that's nothing new. I think kind of all of us as event marketers um, already do this. Um, But I think just upping the ante um, with the assets and the means in which we do help attendees, exhibitors, speakers, sponsors, even just people who truly just love going to the show and are excited that they're going, giving them all of the assets to share with their networks, to invite people to join them. Mm. Um, That alone is going to expand our reach um, more so than, you know, we can do ourselves, especially at a time when a lot of people in our prospect database are displaced, you know, unfortunately furloughed Mm. or laid off or just maybe have moved on to other opportunities. So um, right. we know that, that that's going to be um, really powerful this year and just kind of getting everyone to link arms, you know, and help us um, yeah. promote. Yeah, it's always been a important tactic and Feather makes a product called Feather Invites, which is a way to run these kind of attendee or exhibitor or speaker invite programs in terms of like helping 
to create personalized collateral for each of them without having to hire a designer mm -hmm. to make a landing page and an email banner for that person and that person, that person, that person. You can kind of do it, make a template, and then like merge in all of the partner information or, or the speaker information, for example. Anyways, I digress. I think it's always been important and a useful tactic, but especially today, and this is one of the things you mentioned to me on our, on our call earlier, is that there's that inherent vote of confidence that comes from somebody saying, hey, I'm registered, or I'm speaking, or I'm gonna be exhibiting at this show, and I'd love to see you there. There's that, there's that vote of confidence that is even more important today than it was in the past, not only about the value of the show, but in the confidence in attending. Um, mm -hmm. You know, from, from like a health and safety standpoint, I trust IAPA to run this show well, so much so that I'm not only going, but I am spreading the word and inviting as many people as I can to come. And that, that kind of personal vote of confidence, as well as you know, the broad messaging and marketing campaigns that you're running mm -hmm. from the brand, both of those things together should, and I think this is, the, this is part of your thinking, create a lot of confidence in the market to see both, again, you know, the, the marketing and central brand messaging around the event and around the health and safety protocols and all that, but then also to have multiple attendees, speakers, partners promoting their involvement and having that be part of the kind of marketing mix that everyone is experiencing. You kind of create this, this sense of, of momentum and overall optimism um, and confidence in attending. And that's, that's the effect that, it, that a campaign like that can have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on a related note, too, is really rethinking the testimonials. Um, we just um, are in the process, actually, of um, selling exhibit space. So our sales team, we're asking them just to, when they're talking to these exhibitors, especially longtime exhibitors that people really recognize mm. on our show floor, why are they coming back this year in particular? Um, and because we we need them to help that narrative too you know people could hear from iapa every day that we're working on health and safety but you're exactly right until they hear it from their peers um and they start to see that ripple effect of um people going you know people creating the fomo effect um i think yeah. that the more uptick that we're going to see in participation yeah totally um how has your kind of marketing mix from a budget standpoint, we, we ran a survey at the end of last year called the State of Association Marketing, and we're asking a lot of questions on association marketing. One of the trends that we saw was a kind of dramatic shift of marketing budget from traditional uh, to digital. Uh, and that trend from 2019 to 2021 was pretty big. Sorry, 2019 to 2020. And then the expected, we, we also asked the question of how do you expect your marketing budget to shift between 2020, because again, the survey ran at the end of last year and 2021, and the expected shift was even more towards digital. What have, what, what's been your experience at IAPA? Is that something that you've seen as well? Yes, definitely. We, we've done a lot of direct mail in past campaigns, um, like I mentioned, and that's because we've seen a return on investment. Of course, that's one touch point, you know, of many as far as the campaign, but um, it always um, was correlated with attendee registrations. 
Um, but as I mentioned, you know, our distribution list for these pieces that are rather expensive may not be the same quality as they were, mm -hmm. um, with people changing companies, roles, um, that sort of thing, or just not being physically in their office space. Yeah. Um, in, but digital allows you to be so flexible. You know, your marketing plan always needs to be somewhat flexible, but I think more than ever, we're going to really be looking at behavior and what people are consuming and how people are reacting to our messaging in different pieces and then shifting and updating accordingly. And you really just don't have the luxury of doing that with direct mail or printed pieces just because the, the timelines, you know, are so long and they're so early too. So I think that that was really why we, it was a no brainer that most of our marketing budget needed to go toward digital just so we can be much more nimble. Mm. Um, and I, I would estimate about 70 to 75% of, of my budget is going to be spent toward those, those digital efforts. Um, and you know, that's a smaller budget than what I'm used to as well. Um, yeah. but I, it's just the, the only way that you can, can work smarter in these, um, you know, challenging and still uncertain times. Yeah, totally. I love that point about digital being a, a flexible channel in terms of messaging, right? It, and especially in previous years, you could have a really good sense that like a certain message was going to be the right message. And so just kind of distributing that as broadly and as possible um, was was a fine tactic to take, whether that was through direct mail or print or what have you. You didn't have to worry so much about the message not hitting because you have a track record of, you know, however many decades of, of running these events or these programs um, that have shown a certain kind of messaging tact and a certain kind of messaging strategy to be effective. And so you could dial that in and then do, do broad kind of distribution of that one central message that you were really confident in. But I love this point about despite, you know, as much research ahead of time as possible and like trying to, again, get a really close pulse on, on your audience and, and what their concerns and desires are, you can't be as confident in your messaging now as you were in the past. There's going to be, like you said, you don't know what you don't know until you actually start your marketing um, and digital as as a great uh, solution for that dynamic of not having you know perfect confidence in your messaging mm -hmm. and therefore needing to be able to test variations for relatively small budgets and then invest more and iterate based upon what your initial kind of like engagement and feedback looks like from from those marketing campaigns that is a huge advantage of digital. It's, it's not just um, you know, another channel to distribute your core message. It's a channel that helps you test varieties in your messaging and then iterate and improve and get to the right answer. It's also like a testing medium. Um, and that, that point is just a really, really great one. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, we've done research on our direct mail pieces in the past, even before the pandemic occurred. And one of our largest pieces was a 24 page or so conference brochure. And when we researched people that we sent it to, we found out that they, they used it for the schedule at a glance and they, they tore it out and they brought it on site, which is great that we gave them that tool. But as far as attendee acquisition, that was a huge investment for us. 
-hmm. and it didn't move the needle as far as the numbers it just more was a customer service (laughs) um, for people that were already coming and having that um that schedule so i think just for for all marketers as you relook your tactics and you know what is worthwhile and and what you're going to continue to do um just looking at those those older pieces or, you know, those older tactics that you, you think, oh, we've had the success in the past before with, with this formula, mm-hmm. you have to shake things up because everything's different now um, and really revisit, um, you know, how, what those things um, did, how they performed for you. Yeah. I'd love to ask one last question on this uh, kind of like the digital approach for, mm-hmm. for these events and then get into a couple of closing questions um, and, then, and okay. then we'll get you out of here. So um, digital being kind of like the main component of your marketing mix, and then also kind of combining that with the idea of being very awareness and kind of like education and engagement focused on the early months of, of the promotion. Like just if I could ask you to go like one level deeper in terms of detail there, you know, what are some of the channels on the digital side that you're planning to invest heavily in? Of course, email is a, is a mainstay, but are there other whether that's you know advertising channels or like you were saying influencer marketing, just anything else that's that you already know is going to be part of the channel mix, um, and yeah, let's 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 go with that. Yeah, so definitely email. Um, anyone who says that email doesn't <laughs> work well is lying because that also that has always been such an, a huge um, part of our marketing plan. Um, we are doing paid social, um, particularly on LinkedIn, um, just because that's where our audiences are. Um, and we're doing a lot of content marketing, um, through the IAPA news hub. So kind of on IAPA.org, but also through, um, other websites as well. Um, and I think that in the past, you know, we kind of struggled with um, just paid um, in general, like our SEO. Mm. Um, and I think those types of ads in particular, and I'm not talking about retargeting, I'm just talking about yeah. in general. Um, that's another great example of we need to test, 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 and mm. really figure out what people are searching for. Um, and what people need, because that is going to be an also um, good indicator for us. Um, and that's in addition to those those loyal attendees. Um, I think just keeping an eye on, on that in the next few months will, will help us a lot understand. Um, and then video has always worked really well for us in the past. Um, we've done pre-roll advertising. And I think that that's something that we're, we will continue, but we need to be careful because all footage that we secured last year mm. doesn't have anyone in mass. You know, we're actually used to telling our photographers and videographers like large crowd shots only. We don't want to see empty aisles. So we don't really have anything uh, uh, that, that we can feels use. Real. To, yeah, what the experience will look like. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that um, video won't perform well for us. So we're, we're already in the throes of rethinking that strategy yeah. um, and approach. But um, that's definitely a huge part of the, the mix. Makes a lot of sense. And I know I said last question, but I have, I have one more. <laughs> and that is uh, similar of like going one level deeper on this idea of being more awareness and engagement focused for the early months and then going more towards you know, registration, act now, CTA style marketing in the last month. What is that going to look like? Um, 
you know, the, I, that, that hasn't been the case in the past, I'm sure. And, you know, we see a lot of advertising and marketing plans for attendee acquisition and have seen them for many years and especially, you know, 2019 and before that, a lot of the dollars in, in the three to four months before a live event went towards kind of conversion focused campaigns. That was early bird deadline, advanced registration deadlines, price breaks, uh, cart abandonment, registration abandonment style campaigns. And like that would be, you know, the majority of the budget and the majority of, of, um, of the actual campaign time was spent running those types of campaigns, kind of bottom of funnel campaigns. But now you're talking about spending, you know, several months in awareness style marketing. What does that look like in terms of the creative um, and kind of like messaging that you're using and, and how are those plans shaping up? Yeah, definitely uncharted territory for us. But I think it goes back to just humanizing your brand, being really transparent, you know, addressing the elephant in the room saying, we know this has been a challenging year and kind of going through the benefits of attending the event from that lens. Um, so really just showing that you understand, you know, what your members and what your participants have had to deal with, um, kind of showing them that it hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows for you either, but just kind yeah. of together, you know, you're moving forward and um, working together, you know, for the success of everyone, not just the attraction industry, but the events industry. Yeah. Um, and I think that we're, we still have registration deadlines, you know, we still have incentives and, and group rates and cart abandonment. And I don't think that the marketing strategy needs to change entirely. I just think that threading in kind of that transparency, making sure that you're one, talking about health and safety, two, being a little bit more lenient and open about your refund policy mm. or thinking about what is something that a prospective participant would be worried about or hesitant, you know, to, to convert. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely one of them because, you know, plans change all of the time these days. And at the end of the day, you don't want to not show off, you know, who's an amazing speaker that's going to be on stage or who's going to have a really cool booth, you know, on the trade show floor. So while health and safety needs to have kind of a golden thread through everything that we do, mm. you also can't lose focus on the, mm. the on-site experience, you know, itself as well. So I think it's all, it's going to be about striking a balance, really mm. the entire campaign. Mm. Um, and it's, it's going to be, you know, a, a delicate dance, yeah. but um, I also just think that there's a lot of merit and value and showing the normal things that people are used to mm. as well because at the end of the day that's what we all want just to kind of get back to um the way things were you know yeah. and just move forward in in new times um just you know as best we can for for all of the businesses involved totally i love that point on balance okay last couple closing questions thank you so much for the time today by the by the way megan um so closing question number one at this stage in your career, uh, what do you wish you could go back in time and tell yourself when you were getting started? Anything come to mind? <laughs> I think that I would urge myself to test the formula. I think that a lot of businesses 
are comfortable with um, kind of, you know, formulas of success that have always worked. And this year especially just forced everyone to transform, mm. whether they wanted to or not, um, and adapt um, in order to really survive. It sounds dramatic, but it's true. Yeah. Um, and I think, though, it has showed us that you know, the tried and true formula was great, but that doesn't mean that you can't try new things or be different. Um, and so I think that just coming up with new ideas, you know, always questioning processes, always mm. challenging formulas in a respectful way, of course, I think well, is only gonna get you results, whether you learn from those results or you, you know, best case scenario, just find new areas of opportunity and success for yourself um professionally but also for the organization that you're working with i think um it's never a good idea to get too comfortable um and it's not also not a good idea to accept this is the way we've always done things um so i think that's what i would tell i love myself. that i love that especially for junior marketers that can be tough you know because you come mm -hmm. in and you're like okay let me learn the best practices and just execute on the best practices uh and okay you know, that has some merit. You want to know what's worked before and you want to become competent in those areas. Mm -hmm. uh, but that can also kind of be a trap where you end up, in, in the best case scenario, you just end up doing what everyone else is doing. You know, like, again, mm -hmm. best practices by definition are like standards, right? And so even when you get them right, you just, you kind of blend in, right? You're, you're not, there's nothing necessarily unique around it. And so learning the basics, but being comfortable innovating and questioning uh, questioning that is is a tough balance to strike. So that's a very well taken point. Um, last one, if you could wave a magic wand and solve one professional problem, what would it be? And okay, there's there's an asterisk on this. It can't be make the pandemic go away, <laughs> and it can't be uh, give me unlimited budget. So those are oh. the only two exceptions. Sorry. <laughs> budget is an easy go to. Hmm. I would say that this, is, this might be a sneaky way of saying budget, but <laughs> I would say I wish that I ha could have more people on my team. I mm. think um, as associations in general, I think it's an, uh, it's an opportunity in a way that every association that I know at least is it has a kind of small but mighty team. Yeah. So I definitely get to work with every department and get experience in all aspects of the organization. And I am truly thankful for that but also i wish i could do a lot more you know mm. and when you're just one person or you're two people um you're a really small team and you can't do it all so i think that you need to just really find the right partners you need to find the right vendors who are going to become an extension of your team internal team um so you can really march together um toward mm. whatever your goals are mm. Um, because I think that marketing has really evolved. It's not just attendee acquisition. It's really working on those on-site experiences. So then when someone's on site, that's when you start to really form that brand loyalty mm -hmm. um, and get them coming back each year. So the marketers, while they need to have awesome social media posts and videos and emails, and all of that, they also really need to be at the table for when you're talking about on-site experiences and mm. content at the events. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of work, 
but um, I think you need to make sure that you have a passionate team, but ideally I would like to have about, uh, you know, 10 more of uh, uh, the people that I do have um, working yeah. with me. Yeah, that's a great one too. I'll, I'll let that one slide. Thank you. <laughs> cool, Megan. Budget too, though. <laughs> <laughs> Budget too, and also make the pandemic go away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, Megan, thank you so much for the time today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I'm fully supporting you and sending you all of the good vibes that these three, that these three events and all the promotions for them go amazingly well. And I'm, I'm hoping that at the end of the year, I can send you an email or check in and we can look back on those events being big successes with a lot of learnings that maybe you can share with the audience in a round two. But uh, best of luck until then. And thank you so much for the time today. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. We loved having Megan on the podcast today and hope that you found this episode helpful. To connect with Megan, find her on LinkedIn at Megan Saad. That's Megan S-A-A-D. And we'll see you on the next episode.